Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones. I'm the Well Season Librarian. This is Season 5, Episode 15. Returning to our podcast is Lisa Steele, who is the author of the brand new Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, which came out yesterday on the uh, 15th. So we're really happy to have Lisa back. She's been on here before to talk about poultry and eggs. She's one of the leading experts in the United States on that topic, and you've seen her probably on television and news programs promoting Fresh Eggs Daily, her website, her YouTube channel, and series of books. The Fresh Eggs Daily cookbook is her seventh cookbook, and it's just a wonderful, magnificent cookbook full of information about eggs, cooking, using, storing, uh, measuring eggs in every capacity, different types of eggs, different types of containers. What does it mean on the label when it says something like organic or farm-raised? All kinds of information in the book, and then the recipes are just to die for. There's order of recipes, drink recipes, dinner recipes, breakfast recipes, lunch recipes, um, every type of recipe you can imagine for eggs in here. And they're very exciting recipes, nothing boring in the book. And then the photography is to die for as well. Uh, Harper did a great job um, making this book. It's just a real great thing. I, th- I think anybody would be happy to receive this as a gift. And again, this came out yesterday, so you can get it in any of the major um, distributors, or you could buy it in a local bookstore, as I recommend. So without further ado, I'm going to go to my conversation with Lisa Steele of Fresh Eggs Daily, promoting her brand new as of yesterday, the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. And on we go. Hey, Lisa, it's really good to see you again. Thanks for being on the program to promote your new book before. So I, I know you've always, you have. yeah. Uh, how are you doing? Um, yeah, I've been good, but I, you know, I, this is my seventh book, but the amount of PR that I'm doing for this one compared to my previous six books is insane. Like I have three and four things a day and it's just, it's really crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, cause I mean, Harper Horizon does a lot of stuff and they're, they're really big on the PR part of it. And I know they're trying to really push this right now. But you know, it's not going to have to be pushed. Has universal, yeah. you know, a chicken. I mean, there's a very small, you know, segment of people who want to read a chicken book. So, well, I mean, I think yeah. it's a wonderful book, and I think it's going to sell itself really easily. I, it's just, it's just a. I mean, you should be really proud. I'm sure of it. It's just is so gorgeous. Uh, Tina Rupp's photography is so good. The whole thing, all the way through, is just amazing. I cannot believe that she, because, you know, they said to me, who do you want to photograph your book? Here are some choices and look through, you know, some other photographers. And I started looking at who photographed, you know, Ina Garten and Rachel Ray and those kind of people, Giada, because I'm pretty much an overachiever. And I found Tina <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, how about Tina Rupp? And they were like, well, I don't know if she'll do it, you know? And um, we contacted her. Obviously, I don't have the big budget like those big ones do. So the photo budget wasn't as large as she's used to. But um, she wanted to talk to me on the phone and make sure that we sort of clicked. And she liked me because she said, at this point, I don't have to work. So I don't, you know, need to work with people I don't like. We really hit it off and had a blast. And yeah, she's, she's amazing. Her, her photos are amazing. When you started writing it, did you intend to go for a specific type of book? Because it's not just a regular cookbook, as some people may assume. Like, it's got a bit of everything. Like, if you're a food nerd, 
it's got stuff in there for you. If you like science, it's got stuff in there for you. If you're a mixologist, it's got stuff in there for you. If you like doing desserts, it's got that. If you like doing all different types of like cooking with eggs, it's got that. Like, and it's also got so much of the food nerd stuff that like, did you kind of aim for that when you wrote it? Well, the book ended up being almost 100 pages longer than it yeah. was going to be. Um, I wrote it. I thought it would be 100 egg recipes, you know, sweet, sour, savory, you know, whatever. Um, a nice collection, you know, some classics, some that are a little more unique. And then I wrote an introduction, you know, like a page and a half, like a normal introduction to a book. And my editor sent it back to me and said, no, I want you to go into your backstory. People who follow you probably want to learn more. People who don't follow you, you know, would like to hear more. And I want you to talk more about eggs, you know, just anything you can think of about eggs. So I turned it back in. It was like 40 pages longer and they loved it. And they ended up increasing the length of the book for that reason. And I think it's very unique in that aspect. I've read a lot of egg cookbooks and a lot of them are just kind of recipes with an egg plopped on top. Yeah. But I find eggs really fascinating. At this point, I'm kind of fascinated more by eggs than by my chickens. You know, at first it was the chickens I was all into, but I realized my passion really lies in eggs because there's just so much to them. Like you said, it's very scientific, like when you're baking with them and the things that they do to different recipes and how the yolk works different than the white and all this other stuff. Um, so they're just fascinating. I mean, it, it's, I cooked scrambled eggs so many ways and omelets and tried 18 different souffle recipes. And, you know, it just, there's just a lot there. I think your book really brings home how eggs are the Swiss army knife of the kitchen because I think eggs are there and we take it for granted because looking through your cookbook really kind of like made the light bulb go over my head, how often eggs end up kind of saving my bacon pun unintended when I want to make something quick for dinner and I don't really have something eggs are always there in various ways, never like just one way. So I think you, you really totally highlighted that with your book. It's exceptional. I mean, I, I wanted to kind of ask you some questions about it. I'll, I'll put, I'll go back and put an intro later. Uh, kind of sure. going over your bio and everything. I thought we'd just start talking because I'm so really curious. So if you don't mind, I have a lot of questions, if that's okay. I actually forgot we were recording. Like we were just chatting and all of yeah. a sudden I just looked and I was like, oh, we're recording. Okay, then. I'm just nerding out about it because I really love the, the book. has started. Well, I, I and just to, before we move on uh, quickly, carbonara is one of my favorite, favorite recipes. Because like you said, you have nothing to cook. You open the pantry. There's nothing in there. But who doesn't have dried pasta and some eggs? And yeah. you make this glorious sauce, you know, just using the egg. It, it's just, it's beautiful. I just made that last week. I'm glad you thought, brought that up because that was the, basically what happened. I didn't have anything to cook. I had flubbed dinner. So I was like, well, I guess we're having carbonara. And it really is. The, ki the kids were wowed by it. They're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to go over some of the things because like I said, there's a lot of good stuff for food nerds like me. Um, can we talk a bit about the egg carton code? Because I really love that part of the book. <laughs> that was so awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So that is sort of the commercial egg industry's way of secretly getting around not having to really tell you how old the eggs are. Um, so you can ignore the best buy or sell by dates because those are sort of arbitrary. But what you want to look for is the three digit code on the end of every egg carton. It'll be a number from 001 to 365. And that corresponds to the day of the year that the eggs were put in the carton. So I actually had to go buy eggs a couple of days ago because I'm doing a lot of cooking demos in this next week or two. So I had to go buy store-bought eggs. 
So I, I picked out eight dozen, brought them home. And then I said, you know what, let me just look. Every one of them was either zero to zero or zero to one. So that meant they were put in the cart in January 20th or 21st. So we're now at February 10th or whatever. So, I mean, we're already talking, they're what, 20 days old? Yeah. They were probably not put in the carton for a day or two after they were laid. I might not use them for a week or two. So your average supermarket egg that you're eating is probably about six weeks old, in all honesty. Well, you're you're talking about I've think I've heard people talk about in books, you know, fiction works will sometimes talk about things like the little house in the prairie books or what have you will always talk about food and preservation, especially where it's necessary to the plot line. But I've always heard of how people will store eggs. And I never really thought about too much about like what people did before refrigeration. And you talk about that in your book about some of the ways that we, they um, stored eggs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, my favorite way, which wouldn't work if you didn't have refrigeration because you wouldn't have freezers either. But um, when you do raise chickens, it's very seasonal. You get a ton of eggs certain times of the year, so many that I'm just tossing them into the compost pile, you know, which yeah. just breaks my heart, but we can't yeah. eat that many. And then in the winter, you don't have because it's shorter days and your chickens um, go on strike basically every winter. So yeah. if you would just whisk the eggs up, pour them into ice cube trays, freeze them and then pop them out and put them in freezer bags. Each cube is, a, is roughly one egg and then you can defrost them and, and scramble them or bake with them or make a frittata or whatever. So that's what I prefer to do because I really only need to have a stop gap between maybe like October and February or right. March. You know, it's not that long of a time. Um, I know people water glass or they'll preserve eggs in lime, I believe. And you can, they last for like a year. Yeah, but I've never needed eggs to last for a year, so I've never done that. Um, I think in today's day and age, we don't really need eggs to last that long. Yeah, um, you know. And then uh, I also talk about salt curing the yolks, which it's kind of neat. It, it, but you can't use them for baking. So for me, it, it doesn't really make sense. You know, you basically preserve them in a bed of salt, and they firm up, and the texture changes, and then you can grate them over pasta or or what have you instead of cheese. I mean, I love cheese, so I'm not really looking for a cheese substitute, but that's another option. There's a, a potato chip that's sold in the Bay Area here at a lot of the um, Asian stores, and it's got grated preserved egg on it, and it's a flavoring on the potato chips, and they're so popular, they're going for like $17 a bag. Wow. Yeah, you can't get them. For like, real? you go, they're almost always gone. Who, I mean, I found them very, very salty, obviously, you know, because they're being preserved in salt, but yeah. texture wise and visually, if you brought someone out a plate of food with that on top and they would assume it would be, you know, shredded cheese or grated cheese on top of whatever the food was. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about my um, stepdaughter. She texted me at work and she was panicking. She's like, it called for large eggs and I have small eggs is this going to be okay? Is it going to be ruined? And I had to kind of like talk to her about the sizes of eggs. Now you talk about that in your book. And I think that's something that often gets missed because we go to the store, we buy the eggs and we don't even think about it sometimes. And we get them home and like the recipe will say large eggs. And we have these different variations. Now, can you talk about that a little bit? I actually did that. The eight dozen eggs that I brought home, four dozen are extra large because I'm not used to looking, I'm not used to buying eggs, you know, and yeah. I didn't think about that. But yes, most recipes, they call for a large egg. That said, my chickens lay eggs, all different sizes. I never worry about it. I never weigh them. If it calls for three eggs, I grab three eggs and right. 
you know, I'm done with it. I think people who weigh their flour, you know, bakers who weigh their flour probably are the ones that are weighing their eggs. Also, yeah. <laughs> I think everybody else doesn't worry too much about it. I mean, too many eggs, they are going to change the, the texture and consistency, the moisture levels, you know, so you will get a different result, but I don't think it's that greatly different that your recipe will be ruined. Now, I, you touched lightly on egg color because I think a lot of people don't even know that there are other colors than white for, for chickens. And I laugh at that because I've raised chickens and I know that, that you with different chicken types, you can get different colors. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I always loved discussing that part of it. That's really, I mean, the history of, and I go into it in the book, you know, kind of in depth about the history of the colors of eggs and how the white eggs used to be those sold commercially and they were thought to be superior. Um, whereas peasants and farmers were raising chickens that laid brown eggs, but really it's just utility or economy. White egg layers tend to be smaller birds who eat less. So it's cheaper for a commercial farm to raise a flock of white egg layers than brown egg layers. And for farmers, you know, who were hatching eggs, they would eat the roosters, you know, right. so they would want a larger bird that could be either for meat or for eggs. And that's why they were raising the brown. And then somewhere along the way, it flip-flopped and all of a sudden everybody wanted brown eggs because the perception was that they were going to be fresher and they were coming from a farm. So for a while there, brown eggs were actually costing more than white eggs. And then of course, blue and green eggs came into the picture. Yep. You don't really see them on the shelves too often, maybe like at a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's or, you know, a specialty store, you might see colored eggs, um, but they're all the same inside. Yeah. An egg is an egg. My family was afraid of them when I first started buying them. They wouldn't use them. And I'm like, they're just eggs. They're okay. They're just eggs. And they were like skeptical. Then they ate them. They're like, okay, they had to go through it, but they were like really worried. They taste differently. I'm like, no, it's just same thing. It's an egg. Well, we have ducks and geese too. And I talk a lot about the duck and goose eggs. And invariably, anytime I post anything on social media, someone says, what do they taste like? I'm like, they taste like eggs. Yeah. I mean, what do you think they taste yeah. like? Duck eggs are very good. Mm-hmm. They, they taste a little richer and eggier, I yeah. guess, but they still taste like an egg. Yeah, we used to have ducks, and I love the eggs from those. Those are really good. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit the website at www.chnorcal.org. We also have the link on the bio. Um, I also, I loved the chapter where you talk about um, the descriptions of eggs. There's like all natural, farm fresh, cage free, and it all smacks of P.T. Barnum salesmanship. Can we talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit? It does. And again, when I was at the grocery store last week, I mean, there's a whole, there's just shelves and shelves of eggs and cartons and words, and it just becomes a big jumble. And, you know, it, it's hard, but certain things like farm fresh or natural or antibiotic free or hormone free, those mean nothing. Chickens are not allowed to be uh, fed hormones in this country. Anyway, all eggs are natural. Farm fresh has no actual meaning, you know, so, so much of it you can just disregard and really what you should be looking for. If you're concerned about sort of like the welfare of the chickens that are laying the eggs you're eating is pasture raised. 
that means that they are out on grass or dirt or a wooded area or something. You know, they're being chickens. They can run around and play and do all the, the things that chickens do. Um, and certified humane is also a good label to look for because there are certain stipulations that the farm has been inspected and, you know, the chickens have enough space and all that. Um, if you do eat organic and that's important to you, then the organic label is one to look for. But that really relates to what the chickens are eating and not necessarily how they're treated. Um, so for me, pasture raised is, is the most important thing to look for. Now, free range doesn't necessarily, I think people mistake free range for pasture raised, but it's big, it's very different, isn't it? Yes, it is. Pasture raised, and I'd, I'd have to refresh my memory, but it dictates exactly how much of the year or the day or the month that chickens actually have to be outside. They're locked in at night for safety, but they have to be outside. Free range, so let's start, caged is the teeny tiny cages that everyone's seen and that's horrible and the chickens are unhappy. Cage free is those chickens in cages have all been let out. So now they're all just wandering around a huge warehouse, fighting with each other, stepping on each other, whatever. It's just, it's really not any better, but it makes people feel better. Um, and then free range is one step above that. In that huge warehouse, there's a little door that the chickens can go out, but I've read and I, you know, it's hard to, figure out what's propaganda, what's not. But I've read that some chickens never even find that door to go outside their whole life. Oh, wow. So there's no guarantee that free range chickens are actually outside and the outside can be like a concrete slab. You know, there's no stipulation that it's actually grass or dirt or something that they're going to enjoy. I saw that you had included vegetarian fed chickens and I was surprised at that because I'm like, why would you necessarily want your chickens to be vegetarians? I was kind of incredulous. Yeah. Chickens are not vegetarian. No, if no. you've had chickens, chickens yeah. will eat mice and lizards and snakes yeah. and worms and grubs and ants. And I mean, chickens are absolutely not vegetarian. So that's, that's something that it makes zero sense to me. Cause that's not, that would be like buying, you know, a vegetarian cat. Like you go to a breeder and they're like, and this is a vegetarian cat. It's like, well, cats are carnivores. Chickens yeah. are omnivores. They should yeah. be eating everything. They're, they're very happy, I've found, to eat the slugs in your garden, too. <laughs> I sure do. You um, had a lot of information. I'll just go over some of this. Uh, just the weights and measures section was really important, I thought. The temperature portion was so important. And then the safety egg safety thing. I think that gets asked so often, and people don't know where to really look. And you have that all covered here. Just such a great cookbook you know the part about freezing eggs you mentioned so important because I think we often don't think about that and the salt curing and then I love the drink section because I, I you know I like a good <laughs> tipple myself and just I thought it, you had some really great drink eggs drinks in there yeah there, there's um sort of the egg safety thing but I mean I make my own mayonnaise you know, I make tiramisu, which has uncooked eggs in it. Uh, the carbonara, you know, it's a fine line. Are eggs really cooked in that or are they not? You know, I don't have a problem eating raw eggs. I mean, I yeah. wouldn't drink a glass of raw eggs, but, um, you know, the egg white foam on top of a cocktail just adds like such a nice, you know, kind of texture and feel on the tongue. And um, I had to taste test those maple sours many, many, many times. And now that the book is out, we still are taste testing the maple sours because they're so good. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that too. <laughs> <laughs>
you really had some beautiful um, recipes in there. I really like the clever way you had with fried eggs and things that we would normally take for granted. You had so many wonderful ideas like cooking eggs and cream, cooking the eggs with lemon, which I just love. I want to try so bad. You had so many great ideas. And then you had some good old traditional things in there as well. The one thing I was happy to see uh, was the toad in the hole, which is something I love and I've made for my son. And I love, I don't think so many Americans don't, they get put off by the name, but it's a great dish. And it's just one of those things that you definitely have to make for your family. And if you do, you'll probably make it again. I agree. That's, that's a fun one. It's a really great picture. And with maple syrup and some really grainy mustard, it's got a cute name. I mean, kids, I'm sure love the name. It is, you know, sort of a off-putting name, toad in the hole, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you're no slouch with the baking, I have to say, because the baking portion of it is really amazing. You know, from some of the stuff like just traditional pound cake that you make deftly, there's some really good stuff like, uh, you know, you do different things with pound cake here. And then you also have, you know, cheesecake, which is important. And you've got a really good recipe for cheesecake and then a pumpkin swirl cheesecake. The Boston cream pie looks amazing. And I think anybody would, you know, they always, I think, would strike their head up. Like, of course, meringue pies are going to be in here and you have a wonderful right. lemon meringue pie. And just like the maple walnut cake looks like something I can't wait to make because I'm a big maple fan. And that just looks amazing. And then the orange brandy olive oil cake looks gorgeous. Where did you come up with that? That looks just incredible. You know, olive oil cakes sort of started getting trendy. I think maybe during COVID, maybe people were having trouble finding butter yeah. or something. Um, and I know a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm out of butter and don't realize it. And that's how a lot of these recipes came to be is I was out of butter and I wanted to fry an egg and I had a little heavy cream left over. So I was like, that would probably work, you know. Um, but same with the olive oil cakes. They started being really popular and I started seeing them everywhere, you know, on Pinterest and TikTok and Instagram and everything. So I started uh, playing around and I, I happened to have some Bryn Marnier laying around because, mm. you know, who doesn't, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it, it's so eggy and beautiful looking. I mean, it's just a glorious looking cake. It looks like a bit of sunshine. And then the rum plum Breton. I love that's that rings all my bells because I love plums. You, and you have just great sugar cookie recipes in here. All kinds of cookie recipes, including the filled cookies. And then of course, I, of course it'd be cream puffs in here. That's a big egg thing. And those just look glorious. The maple chai cream puffs, my God, those sound amazing. I use maple a lot and as you can tell, I'm a Maple's big fan. Great. I have some, some flavor profiles I tend to lean towards and maple is definitely one of them. The creamy spice rice pudding looks gorgeous and the photography looks it makes like definitely mm -hmm. very you want to make that as soon as possible but the, the rhubarb clafuti i'm a big rhubarb fan and i'm always like telling people you got to try rhubarb and this looks right up. i got a rhubarb plant in the backyard now i could make this tonight that looks you have really rhubarb gorgeous. growing now already yeah wow. we're lucky though because we don't really get any snow or anything although we could we're not like Oh, okay. Because rhubarb likes cold. I tried to grow it in Virginia and didn't like it, but I, I do have it here. And growing up in Massachusetts, my grandmother always had it. But I mean, we don't see rhubarb till probably June, I guess. Yeah. But that, that clafuti, it's it's nice. And it's a nice change from a strawberry rhubarb pie, which is pretty much the only thing that I ever did with rhubarb or make like a marmalade type thing. I think, I mean, that would be such a wonderful thing to do with it. It just seems, I never, never would have thought of that. So when I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, that looks gorgeous. I got to try that. Your chocolate pots de creme look amazing. 
So does the eaten mess. That's one thing that like I always hear about and I want to try because the idea of meringue, fruit, and whipped cream, it's like, yes, please. That just sounds amazing. Yeah. You can't go wrong. And it's super elegant. You know, it's, it's easy because it's just really three components that you can kind of make in advance. Just put it all together. But, you know, to have like a dinner party and serve that as the dessert, it's very elegant. Well, I was looking through this and my wife kind of stopped me when she saw the portion where you're making um, marshmallows because she had wanted mm -hmm. to make them forever. And I'm like, well, this has got it and marshmallow cream. So we're like, all right, we're going to have to try this one too. This looks really good. There's so much stuff in here, I think, for a family to kind of look at and kind of start picking things to make. And of course, wonderful recipes for homemade mayo and aioli, which if you're a gourmet and like to cook, those are two must items that you got to make. Yeah, tartar sauce, hollandaise, Caesar dressing. I mean, there's so much that you can make that I think people just don't think of making. And it's so much better than the store-bought. Was it fun developing the recipes and um, making all this stuff? It was, you know, I, I worked on it for over two years. And even before I had an agent or had pitched the idea, I was picking out what I was going to include or wanted to include and, and recipe testing and starting to write things down and all that. A lot of it is things that are on a regular rotation at our house. Then some of the other things are things that I stumbled across while I was trying to find more recipes or like the olive oil cake that all of a sudden came on my radar, you know, as I was working on it. But it was it was just so much fun. I wanted to do a blend of classics like the lemon meringue pie, pound cake. I think a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know why a pound cake is called a pound cake, which surprised yeah. me. You know, we're, we're losing a lot of that. So I wanted to include classics and then, you know, find there in other cookbooks and maybe people already have a recipe but I thought it was important to have it all in one place. I mean, it's just helpful for me. Like I use this cookbook all the time, you know, cause it has all my favorite recipes in it. This is just a really magnificent cookbook. And I like the instructional portion of it. I like the fact that it's not just like, here's a bunch of recipes. It's got so much to read. And it's really one of those things you could just sit down and kind of read it cover to cover and really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So I'm really just recommending this to everybody. And I know I'm going to be getting it for a lot of people for gifts because I just feel like this would be the perfect gift book for somebody who likes to cook. I have a friend who just got married and I sent her a copy and said, you need to cook these things for your husband because, you know, they're, they're newly married. She, I'm sure she really hasn't had to cook, you know, for two very much. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner in it. And she has chickens. So it's just a natural fit. I always get, I like to get cookbooks for newlyweds. I think it's a gift that people don't think out, about very mm -hmm. often, but oftentimes I've talked to, to people that are young that don't really have a lot of them that are learning how to cook. And like you said, they don't know why a pound cake is called a pound cake because they don't have the resources to look it up or figure it out. And having good cookbooks, I think is such a good thing for families starting out. And I, I really recommend people get, get cookbooks for people that are getting married or young couples, because it's really such a great gift for people. It's so different than, I mean, and I, I'm guilty of it too, you know, it'll be getting near dinner time and I think, oh, I want to make, you know, chicken tikka masala and I'll right. just Google and find a blog and it looks, yeah. the recipe looks good and I'll make it. I mean, I do that. We all yeah. do that. Yeah. But I also love having cookbooks to sit down in the evening and flip through and tab things I want to make. And it's just a different way of, of deciding what to cook. Yeah. No, it's just, and if you have recipes that are tried and true for you, it's nice to go back to the bookmark, the coupon that you placed in there and go back to the recipe time <laughs> and again. Well, Lisa, I, you didn't I, know you were looking for. Yeah, I, I just think this is a great cookbook. And 
I know that I appreciate this it. is this is going to be such a popular you know bestseller this year. I really predict that for this because it's so great. It comes out next week, right? It does Tuesday, so, February fifteenth. Well, I'm telling everybody that's listening to this, get on it, get it now, get one while you can, because uh, it'll probably sell out pretty fast. And you can also get it on Amazon and all the other major. Um, right. And then just like all your other books. So you, we've said earlier that you have six other books. I recommend those to people. I know so many people that are looking to raise chickens now or thinking about it, and they're mm -hmm. just kind of doing it haphazardly. If you're going to do it, get the real information first. Get one of Lisa's books. Don't mess around with just half-assing it. Just get the cookbooks. I mean, get the, get the books on chickens. Really read them before you do it. Good advice. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I've loved having you on here again. Um, and you're always such a great guest. And thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it. Well, thank you very much. We'll air this next week um, on the day the book comes out. Perfect. I so appreciate it. And I'm so glad you like it. I, I just, everyone has been so complimentary about it. And I, I'm just excited because I really love it too. I'm so pleased with how it came out. You hit a home run. It, I was so happy to get it when I got it. It just blew me away because it was so good. And I got to kind of nerd out on stuff. And I kept like, I, I when I went to go look for through recipes as I expected, I saw all the stuff that, that I liked to, that I really love, which is your egg carton code, your descriptions, that for me is like, I, I love that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing I read anyway, even books that are just about that kind of stuff. So I'm like, ah, this is great for me. This has got everything I need. So I was really happy with it. I appreciate it. Well, I will definitely share the link. I'm sure you'll you'll send it to me or yeah. Terry or whoever, and yeah. um, I will share that. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll promote this as much as I possibly can. I think everybody's going to really love this. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Well, you have a great day then. A good weekend too. You too. Thanks. Okay. Bye. That was author Lisa Steele on our program talking about her book, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, which came out yesterday. Wonderful book. Uh, you can get it through any media outlet and uh, you could also purchase it through a local bookstore. Now we're going to have on Friday, Lisa Amico Crystal who's going to be talking about her book, The Art of Conversation, as well as her life as a chef, uh, writing, cooking, recipes, and such. I look forward to talking to her. And then next Monday, we're going to have Constance Kirker and Mary Newman talking about their book, Coconut, the, and um, other books like her, their books about uh, edible flowers and more. Then we're going to have um, Christopher Schaefer talking about his book, Moon Over Sosova, When Americans Experience Teaching and Pulsed Cold War, Slovakia, and then we're going to have John Birdsall on talking about his book, The Man Who Ate Too Much. So look forward to talking to all these authors next week, and until then, happy cooking.